Welcome to The Art of Discernment, a podcast where professors from across the Master's University discuss current events and higher education from a biblical worldview. Hello, I'm Dr. Bob Dixon, and I'm here today with Dr. Greg Frazier, author, professor of history and political studies, and dean of the John P. Stead School of Humanities here at the Master's University. And he's here to answer really a question that's been on my mind for a while, and that is, does big tech have too much power? Now, before we get going, let's define big tech. We use that term a lot, big tech, but Dr. Frazier, what, what does that mean as you define big tech? Well, I think the accepted definition of big tech is the the huge information technology companies. Um, actually, the five companies that in my research are the five largest companies or richest companies in the world, um, which is, so I don't miss any, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. Uh, and they're mostly centered in Silicon Valley. So we often use Silicon Valley at least in the political world, when we talk about it, we often use Silicon Valley as a, um, in a interchangeably with the big tech companies. And in terms of them being powerful, what what powers or mechanisms does big tech use to to shape the cultural conversation? Well, the two big, big most important powers is one they control the flow hmm. of information. Um, they're not like a pipeline that just oil or natural gas or something flows through, they control the flow. Mm -hmm. They determine which direction the flow goes or if the flow goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one huge factor is controlling the flow of information is actually an authoritarian's dream. Uh, It's something that authoritarians have tried to do, you know, throughout history. And then the other is that they're the gatekeepers. They get to determine what flows at all, if anything, Uh, and they can actually shut you down. And in today's world, the way that information is disseminated, um, you basically have to go through them. And if you can't go through them, you can't get your message out. Just as the news networks choose what to cover and what not to cover, so big tech also essentially chooses what is covered and what isn't because so many people communicate through social media. In fact, Facebook is the number one news source Hmm. for uh, the majority of Americans. And so what they allow or don't allow on their platform is also uh, control or cutting out stories that they don't like or putting uh, warning labels on the stories or eventually just shutting down uh, people who have information that they don't agree with and removing their accounts or shutting down their accounts, either temporarily or permanently. Through all of that, they also are uh, determining what is not covered uh, and what is covered. And so that's that's the, the same thing that the major news organizations, the New York Times and Washington Post and CNNs and so forth, another thing that they that they do uh, is also done by the big tech companies as well. And um, so that's between those those two things, and that's pretty powerful stuff when information is power, um, as we've understood for centuries. And um, which is why, as I said, authoritarians in the past always try to control information and the flow of information. Yeah, that's that's a great point. When, whenever there's a coup or the, an authoritative power 
authoritative power rises to the to the top of the food chain, that's usually the first thing that that occurs is the conscription of the the information flow, whatever way, and so that you get basically a state message. You 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 get what the state wants you to hear, uh, and then conversely, I know I from from the history courses I took a long time ago, I remember uh, arguing that that the most important development in 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 the the second millennia. Uh, AD was the printing press because it allowed for eventually a more free flow of information, which led to everything else. Um, right. And authoritarians then um, make every effort they can to uh, either destroy what comes off the printing press that they don't like or destroy the printing presses themselves. I'll, I'll be controversial. In my second book, in which I talk about the loyalists uh, in, during the American Revolution versus the Patriots, the loyalists, who, those who stayed loyal to England, uh, one of the things that was m most powerful for the Patriots, for those who supported the revolution, was that they destroyed loyalist documents. When Whenever they tried to print something, they, they actually sent agents around to uh, collect them and burn them. And then if they found out that a press printed loyalist materials, they went and destroyed the press. Mm, yeah. And so the loyalists didn't have opportunity to get their message out. It's it, it would be an interesting it's an interesting thing we'll never know if how to what extent the revolution could have been successful if the loyalists had been allowed to compete in the marketplace of ideas. Right. And so uh, now when you take that I, I, that approach of we want to we want to silence the opposition. We want to find where the ideas are that we don't like, and we want to burn those books or, or or shut down those presses. And now you marry that with big tech, which centralizes that control. You don't have to go digging around, rooting around, trying to find these books or Bibles or whatever has been in history to destroy. You can you can just code something centrally, and it has a much more broad impact. Right? It's very easy. All you have to do is uh, say, well, the algorithms say, and uh, or just send, put out some um, cryptic notice that this violates our standards of community, uh, for example. We just had another one of those yesterday. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure our listeners experienced some of that maybe for the first time in this last 12 months, uh, where there were so many things that suddenly were question were not allowed on social media, you would get alerts on your Facebook feeds or your Twitter feeds or whatever. What are, what are some some examples that you, you've seen just in the last in the last 12 months where this is? Well, really of course, over? the most important one was Donald Trump was was booted off of social media in the middle of a presidential camp, well, not in the middle, near the end of a, of a presidential campaign. You know, if the, if the president of the United States can be shut down, essentially, then what does that tell you about everybody else? Yeah. But there have been um, many people, and of course you have, so some, some people argue, and it's in the article that I wrote, one of the things I suggested that can be done about this is to create alternate um, uh, information flow, but uh, they're also good at shutting those down. So you had Parler, for right. example, that was set up uh, as an alternative, and they, they cut off its internet access, and it's that simple. And so... Uh, between that and and the president of the United States uh, being disconnected from his primary method of communicating to mostly the American people. He was not a president who went on TV a lot and gave speeches. Um, he tried to go directly to the people through um, social media and uh, he got booted off. So those are those are both pretty 
telling. And then you could go through a lot of other, you know, smaller examples. But those are, I, I think, sort of highlight the issue. So when, when you say Donald Trump was deplatformed, uh, are, are you talking about the the post January 6th, you know, where he just was scrubbed from everything? Uh, or is it, were there other deplatforming moments leading up to that? Yeah. So deplatform was probably a uh, wrong choice of words there. He was deplatformed, that is permanently removed after the January 6th incident. Um, but prior to that, during the election campaign, he was cut off in individual days and individual tweets and uh, so forth. Those those were scrubbed. So yeah, during the campaign, he wasn't deplatformed, he, his, but his account was, was uh, messed with. And you're absolutely right. This this Twitter was his preferred. I mean, it wasn't Ronald Reagan who would have the you know call, bring the cameras into the Oval Office right. and address the people. He did it, you know, hour by hour through Twitter, and uh, people would his uh, political opponents. I remember uh, were kind of rattling their sabers at Twitter, saying, "You're you're part of the problem." You're, but Twitter was just should have been an equal opportunity platform. They're not the problem if they're abiding by what they say they are. They're just a platform. People can get on it and say what they want. Now, the question I have for you is, is, is that kind of censorship is, if I can call it censorship, I think I can, is that, we know it's problematic. Is it only problematic or is it illegal? Normally, in political terms, we don't refer to censorship unless it's the government doing it. But I think in this instance, it's, it's easy, it's uh, probably appropriate to do. Mm -hmm. um, is it illegal? Well, that remains to be seen. It do, it's not illegal on the face of it. Uh, it doesn't seem to be illegal. Um, the First Amendment applies only to the government. Uh, and so uh, aside from that, people can, um, if you don't like what your employee says or, or so forth, then you can, you can fire them. Um, so people can be, or you can boycott companies or whatever uh, that you don't like what they say. So it's not illegal on the face of it. There, there's a, there are those who believe that a First Amendment argument can be made against these companies uh, for violating freedom of speech because they they are the um, the means by which people can speak, and so. There are those who think that it, that a, a case can be made there. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to see a case like that go to the courts yeah. and uh, and see what they say. I don't have a whole lot of faith in that argument, but it, I think it's kind of a creative and and possibly valid argument. But the short answer uh, is at this point, it's not illegal. Um, now, the other question is how the other way it could be illegal is if it's an illegal monopoly. Mm, yeah. But again, that would have to go either the government would have to declare them an illegal monopoly, which the current government was not going to do because they're <laughs> benefiting from it. Right. Uh, or the courts again um, would have to do that. So in the short run, it's not illegal. Um, it's certainly unethical and I would argue immoral, mm -hmm. um, but uh, not illegal. Especially if you don't allow alternatives. If if Twitter or Facebook wants to say, look, we're not going to let you put up anything about, I don't know, the border crisis or or vaccines or or coronavirus or whatever they decide, that is their prerogative. They are an ind independent corporation. But if at the same time 
these platforms say, well, we're going to shut down the competition, then it, then it becomes a monopoly, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Is... Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, and there were, they have much more means at their disposal to shut down their opponents than, say, the robber barons or the railroad tycoons had back in the 1800s because they could put a lot of economic pressure on them, but they couldn't stop you from actually building something. But the these people can just stop your access to the people, which is what the what the industry is all about. And this is apolitical. I would be concerned if it was reversed too. It doesn't, it, it's not a matter of, well, this politician is not benefiting and I want this one too and that one isn't. I think all of us as Americans would like to see a, a, a free marketplace of ideas. And you you, meant, you mentioned that, you said, use that phrase. Talk about the importance of the marketplace of ideas. Well, if you're, if you want or say that you want a free society, then the key element in that in any society is ideas. Um, ideas have consequences, as, as is often said. And that's, by the way, what the American founders firmly believed. It's, I think it's the first sentence in my first book. Uh, ideas have The American mm -hmm. founders believe that ideas have consequences. And so the ideas that you have produce political results. Um, and so... Um, if you don't have a free marketplace of ideas, if you don't have the ability for different ideas to be to be shared. And by the way, in the 60s, of course, it was the left that was screaming that their ideas, we need free speech. We had the whole free speech movement in the 60s, right, mm -hmm. by the left. Um, and uh, they were complaining that their ideas weren't being promulgated and so forth. But if you don't have a free exchange of ideas, then you don't really have freedom because you have constrained that. Uh, the options. Um, right. So people don't really have freedom. You have limited the options necessarily, and in some cases, significantly. What are some ways that on the government level, maybe this could be tackled? Yeah, there's some states that are um, have already started to do this. And uh, some of the things that they do is requiring uh, a term of ser uh, service stipulation that requires platforms to tell users why their users why their accounts are terminated or suspended because so many times they just suspend it and they don't give even give a reason and therefore you you don't you can't even pursue any kind of um, redress because you don't even know what the issue is and so they also then have in some states an appeal process um, that that you can use. Um, usually beginning with the company, requiring the company in their state to have an appeal process. Uh, and then if not, it might end in, in court and legal challenges. Um, other, some states are also um, making uh, or passing laws to make the companies in their state disclose algorithmic bias in favor of a candidate as a campaign finance contribution. Ooh. So if your algorithms uh, cause you to favor one candidate over another, then you have to pay uh, for that as a campaign contribution, which again, if you get at the companies with money, that's what they care about. Right. And so that's a, a, a good thing. Another one is um, uh, Florida, for example, sets a $100,000 per day fine if you de-platform a candidate during an election campaign. So again, hurting them where it, where it counts um, in the pocketbook. 
it's hard not to get discouraged by all of this. I, you know, and I'm sure our listeners agree. You, you, you wonder, well, it's, we're talking big tech, we're talking government, we're, we're talking huge corporations. You know, what can I do? What can we do as, as individual U.S. citizens? We're concerned. We recognize it's a problem. Uh, what can we do about it? Yeah, I, uh, when I was writing the article, I kind of struggled to come up with uh, things because, because they are corporations, um, it's, it's harder to get at the, the uh, a solution than it would be if it's just government, um, just government. Um, but I think there are several things. One, if alternate uh, delivery systems like Parler, et cetera, are developed, then individuals can support those, uh, move to those, move off of the big things and move to those, or even for that matter, just move off of the big stuff. Right. Uh, because what, what's going to, what talks most to corporations is money. And so um, if you walk away and don't, and you just, and m maybe send them a letter when you walk away and say, I'm walking away because, um, you know, that might have some type of effect. Of course, that would take a whole lot of people because they're so, such right. a multi-billion dollar uh, industry. But support alternatives, um, vote for representatives who care about this uh, and who who promote um, freedom of speech, free flow of information, etc. Um, you can contact your congressman and tell them to um, to remove the Section 230 um, immunity that these big corporations have. And just to explain that for a second. Um, channels of information in America under what's called Section 230 um, have immunity from prosecution for things that are that are put forward through those channels. Mm -hmm. um, but editors or those who are publishers do not have that immunity. That is, if you do something to control what the flow of information is, or to change it, to edit it, um, then you do not have that that immunity because you're controlling it. You're in charge of it. Those corporations, Twitter and Facebook, can say, well, you can't sue us because we're just a platform. We, we're not responsible for what gets said. But what you're saying is, and that's Section 230 that protects that. But what you're saying is, but you should forfeit that right because you are now stepping into the editor role, not just the the passive platform role and there there if damages can be proven then there you go you have yeah. you have uh, liability but right now they're shielded from that right yeah and that's that's a frightening thing so you know I like the idea of alternatives you know I had a parlor account and then I woke up one morning and I didn't you know and like everybody else and uh, you had a parlor account you just couldn't get into I it. couldn't get into it maybe maybe it still exists some out there I'm sure it does somewhere it's you on know? a cloud somewhere so, yeah, it's been categorized but uh, I I like the idea of, yes, alternative platforms. Uh, I, I've heard that maybe uh, former President Trump is is building one or I, I don't know. But I'm wondering, though, that something that, that is a little disconcerting about that is if we as a nation, as a people, silo ourselves into our own little tribes, uh, I, I don't know what good comes of it th from that end as well. I think what has made this country strong 
through these all these years has been mostly the diversity of thought and right. and we don't we don't have diversity of thought right now it's a cancel culture uh, that seems to be lost how do we get out of this doc so well we don't but um so the the problem of course if if former president trump sets up his own thing like you say it'll be one-sided the other way the only hope would be then that the big tech companies getting competition would want to get people back hmm. and therefore would reopen as an actual flow or conduit of information. And then that that's the only real hope. Otherwise, like you say, then we're siloed like we are in the news uh, for the most part, um, where you turn to this channel because you like the news here, you turn to this channel because you like the news here. Let me say one other thing on what we can do. Um, it's the last thing I put on my article, mm -hmm. which is as believers, we can pray. Yeah. And, you know, I was on a, I was doing a radio interview once on a national radio program and, and, um, and I, I listed in response to the thing we were talking about, I listed seven things that we could do. Okay. The last one was as believers, it was a Christian radio station as believers, we can pray to the sovereign God of the universe. And so then they took calls and I had the unpopular position, of course. And so the first caller, all the calls were challenging me, but the first caller called in and said, so professor, you know, mm. the, the ivory tower person. So professor, what you're saying is all we can do is pray. <laughs> and I said, well, first of all, that isn't what I said. I listed seven things, but let's say I didn't. Let's say the other th six things didn't exist. And all we can do is pray. All we can do is reach out to the sovereign God of the universe. <laughs> You're right. Our hands are really tied. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we have, you know, if, if we have an understanding of God's sovereignty, um, you know, that helps in dealing with these kinds of things. Uh, it doesn't make it all go away, <laughs> but because we're human beings and we have passions and emotions and so forth. But um, but we can pray, and and nothing happens outside of God's plan. Well, I, I can't think of a, a better note to end on than that, because I think what what our listeners, we all really need to hear is a message of, of hope in relation to what politically is happening in, in the world today and, and a reminder that God is never not in control. In fact, all of this is by his design and for his purposes. He'll use it all. And uh, so, Dr. Frazier, I want to thank you for for all the information and especially for that exhortation at the end. That's, that means a lot to me personally, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Art of Discernment. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you next time.